Good morning, loved ones. It's a good day to be in the house of God that we can come and we can worship Him in our singing and we can worship Him in, in our giving and we can rest assured that since He is the King of kings and He is good and a gracious King that the battle does belong to Him and He will triumph and we will be there as he does such a thing. So what a time that we can gather together and come and praise him. So if you would, please open your Bibles as we continue in First Timothy. As we continue in First Timothy, we'll be starting chapter 3. I'm going to do something today that I very rarely do, and I'm just going to deal with one verse today. That's it. Usually we deal with a bigger section, but this section I think needs to have a lot of thought and a lot of um, care to do with it. So I uh, wanted to just tackle this one verse. And if we go shorter, well, then that's completely okay. We'll go shorter and everything. So, And I also want to say for those that are visiting, and when we do the Nicene Creed, and the Nicene Creed says that we believe in one holy Catholic, church, Catholic and apostolic church. The word Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic. We do not believe in the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope or anything like that. But what the word Catholic means is universal. We believe in the universal church and all of the believers that Christ has redeemed by his work on the cross. That is what Catholic means, is universal. And in, back in the time when they... They wrote that. I'm, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't figure that we'd have to explain that. So they had an understanding of what it meant. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into God's word. God, thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you, Father, that because of his work on the cross, we are redeemed we are righteous, we are holy. We have been justified by your grace. And Father, for this, we are grateful. Lord, we're grateful for answered prayer this week. We're grateful for the lives that you are working in. Father, thank you that we have loved ones back from their journeys, and we pray that you would bring loved ones back safely, Father. Thank you for Brigetta, Lord, and her wanting us to call her. What a joy that brings to our heart that she misses and loves each and every one of us, Lord. And I thank you for uh, that, Lord. And I pray that you would bring Dick and Lynn back safely, Father, from their trip. And I praise you and thank you for bringing Chad and Lori back from their trip, Lord, and that we could all be together to worship you today. So now, Father, I just pray now pray for the message. I pray, Father, that you would eclipse me so that Christ would be seen. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in what is said. I pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit and he would convict us where we need to be convicted and he would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, that we would leave here today with a greater admiration for you and a greater love for you that we would adore you more and that we would love you more and that we would cherish you more than we did when we first arrived. 
So, Father, take your word and plant it deep in our hearts that we would hold on to the truth of it, Lord. And we ask it all in your name. Amen. So as we've been going through 1 Timothy, we, we have one section in, in, in chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says this, he says, If I delay, this is what, or 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, this is Paul's main reason for writing this, is that we would know how we ought to behave in the church of God. And so we've seen in chapters 1 and 2 a variety of things. We see how he encourages Timothy to deal with the false teachers that are there. We see this tremendous use of how we are to use the law in a proper way. We see how Paul comes and says, it's a trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of who I am the chief or the foremost or the best. We see the purpose of Christ. We see how we are to be praying for all men. We are to pray for the kings and those who are in high leadership. And then we see how women were to adorn themselves in this godliness and how when they adorn themselves, they show this beauty of who Christ is in their lives. And now Paul changes gears and he shifts gears and now he's going to talk about leadership within the church. This is where he goes. He's going to address the leadership. Now, you might be sitting here saying, well, that's great. I'm not in leadership, so this obviously does not apply to me. Well, no, we can take all of the word of God and we can apply it to our lives. We can do this. Although Paul is going to deal with leadership here. And we can see where he is going to deal with leadership because there was false teachers And so we can understand that if there was false teachers within the church, they were probably not qualified teachers. They were not qualified pastors. They were not qualified shepherds. They were not qualified elders. And so now he's going to come and he's going to talk about these qualifications that not only are you to be looking for in your elders or your pastors, but what the elders and the pastors are to be looking for within people. He's going to bring these requirements and they are crucial. Now, just as a sidebar, we have to understand one thing. When we do look at these requirements, that's why I put part one up here because we're gonna take a couple weeks to do this. We have to understand that there's only one person that fulfills these requirements absolutely perfectly, and that is Christ our Lord. But what we are to look for, brothers and sisters, is a faithful man who has godly character, is what we are to be looking for. And this is what Paul tells us. So look with me at 1 Timothy. We're going to deal with the first verse. This is what it says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So we're going to look at the call and the work. The call and the work. So we see in this first statement, we see it's a trustworthy statement. What Paul is saying is this, this is obvious. It's an obvious statement. It's a truth. 
that does not need to be proved. That's what he means by trustworthy. We see this also in 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 4.9, 2 Timothy 2.11, and Titus 3.8. Predominantly in the pastoral epistles, Paul uses a statement, a trustworthy statement. And it's not only an obvious and true statement, but it's a statement that carries a heaviness to it. It carries an importance to it. It's a heavy load. And so what he is saying is that this is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He's showing the importance and the heaviness of this call to the pastorate, to the eldership, to feeding of the sheep. This is, he's, he's, he's up in the ante here. And this word anyone, this word anyone in the Greek, it means man. Other translations do not, the ESV translates it, if anyone. The New American Standard translates it man, and the King James Version translates it man. So we're talking about a man here, a man, not a woman, but a man. So if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So we see that this, this calling, this calling is heavy, and it's for men. Secondly, we see that it's a godly desire. There's a godly desire there. Look again at the verse, right? The verse tells us two words. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, this word aspire, the word aspire means to reach out after or to long for. It's an external action, right? He's aspiring to it. I'm aspiring to be the boss. I'm reaching out for it. I aspire to be a great mother. I aspire to be a great father. I aspire to be a great athlete. This is what we're aspiring to. We're reaching out for it. We're longing for it. It's this external action. And so this word desire, this word desire is a strong passion. It's a strong passion. And what it means is an, it's a, and it's an external, it's an internal desire. It's an internal desire. So when we, we put these two words together, what we get is a person who outwardly pursues the office of overseer because of an inward desire. He has this desire that he wants to shepherd God's sheep. That he wants to lay down his life for the sheep. John MacArthur puts it this way. The work of the ministry is such a serious undertaking that no man may enter into it based solely on his own desire. Anyone who would lead the church must be set apart to that responsibility by the church when it truly recognizes his giftedness, virtue, service by the standards given. Brothers and sisters, this is why we cannot be quick to put anybody into leadership. We must be careful and we must be specific with what we're looking for because this is the care of God's sheep that's at hand. So we just can't put somebody in. Somebody just can't walk through the door and say, hey, I desire to be the pastor here. And we say, oh, great, here, come on in. There's got to be a venting of this person. 
And the church has got to do that venting. As the body, as the congregation, you are the ones who have to see the giftedness, the calling. This is the one God's calling here. You have to affirm this call. So this would be a man who would come and he would sit and he would worship and he would be part of the body that is doing the work of the overseer. He's doing the work of the shepherd. He's caring for the sheep without a title. Without the title. Because it's not a title that he's after. It's the work he desires to do. It's the work of serving God's sheep. So we see it's a godly calling. We see it's a godly desire. Third, we see that it's a godly position. It's a godly position. Saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. Now this word overseer is the office of a bishop. It's one who oversees. It's one who cares for the sheep. This is what it is. In Scripture, this word is interchangeable. We see that it's interchangeable with pastor. It's interchangeable with shepherd. It's interchangeable with elder. So when we read the Scriptures and we see the word overseer or pastor or shepherd or elder, it's referring to the same person. It's not four different offices within the church. And we see that in Acts, Acts 20, 17, Paul to the Ephesian elders, he says this. Now from Miletus he sent to the Ephesians and called the elders of the church to come to him. And then in verse 28 he says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Still talking to the elders, overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So we see where this word is interchangeable, even with Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders in Acts. He calls them elders, and then he calls them overseers. This is the same position. So the pastorate today is much different than the pastorate of the early church. It's much different. Now I want us to understand, the pastorate today, people enter the pastorate you're going to have people that enter the pastorate because they feel this calling. They feel this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And all the motives are good and all the motives are pure. It can all start off really good, but then it could go downhill real quick also. It can go downhill real quick. Some enter the ministry today because some are in it for the money. Right? We have false teachers all over the place. We have pastors in churches, even in this town, most likely, that are in it for the money. This is my job. This is what I do. I want the money. They're in it for the money. They can't be in it for the money. The job security or the power, they taste a little bit of that power and they want more power and they want more power. These are reasons that they go into the ministry. Today. Prestige, this widespread respect and admiration felt for someone or something on the basis of a perception of their achievements and qualities. They want prestige. They want reputation. They want status. They want to walk in to the, to the, to the building and be like, oh, pastor so-and-so. Trust me, I was there. 
That's where I was at the old church. I loved it, brothers and sisters. When I walked in and people were like, oh, Pastor Mark, oh, Pastor Mark. Oh, I love the title. But at first I loved the work. But then the work started to be secondary to the power and the prestige and the title. It could easily swap. We gotta be careful on those. We gotta be careful that that's not what the person in the pulpit is desiring. It's his own fame and reputation. He's gotta be a servant of God. That's why we have to be sure that they are serving the people of God before we put him in. So it's not for their own fame. Privilege, popularity, all those things. These are all uncommendable. They're not. They're not good. These are all wrong motives to put someone into the pastorate. But it's the one who's willing to lay down his life for the church, for the sheep. This is the one we want to look at. Now, back in, the, in this time in the Ephesian church, pastors were not, they were not set on a pedestal like they could be today. Right? They're not put on a pedestal. And we, and we, we, we see pedestals easily. Well, I go to so-and-so's church. Or I go to John Piper's church, or I go to John MacArthur's church. No, no, you go to the church that John MacArthur pastors because it's Christ's church. This is Christ's church. This is not Martin's church or Dick's church or my church. This is Christ's church that the Holy Spirit has made Martin and Dick and I overseers of. We have to get that clear in our thinking. This is Christ's church. And in the early church, they weren't in it for the money. You want to know why they weren't in it for the money? Because there wasn't any money. Because most Christians in the early church were poor. You might have had some people that were rich, but the pastors weren't in it for the money because most of the churches were poor. They were not in it for position or prestige or privilege or power because preachers in that time were considered to be of low standard. Even Paul says that when he writes about the, the, the pastor is the third galley slave. He is the one in the bottom of the boat rowing the boat. This is the low standard the, the, that they had. So it wasn't about privilege, it wasn't about power, it wasn't about prestige, it wasn't about how many people I'm preaching to. You wouldn't believe it, I go to these pastor's conferences, and the first thing another pastor will come up and say is, how many are you running? It's all about the size of your congregation. No, it's not about that. But these are things that creep in. The first century church, the pastors were not about how many they were running. They were about preaching the purity and the excellency and the glory and the splendor and the majesty of who Christ is. We have fallen from that and we need to redeem that back where we we preach the glories of who Christ is. That's the man we want in the pulpit. It's the man who will preach the glories of Christ. The pastors also risked their lives every day since the church was under persecution. Pastors nowadays, we don't, we don't risk our lives every day because right now there's not a thought of persecution. I believe what's going to happen in my own thought process, I believe there's going to come a time in the American church where persecution comes. And you will see who will be behind that pulpit preaching God's word to God's people. 
knowing that the threat could come right through the door. Pastors then were different than they are today. We have to remember if we attend a Bible college or we go to seminary and we get a degree that this does not make you an elder. It is the calling of the Holy Spirit that makes you an elder. Again, in Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which is obtained with his own blood. Seminary and Bible college gives you a good tools, but it does not make you a preacher and it does not make you an elder. It gives you good tools. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. The pastor is the one who is gripped by the love of Christ for him. And that love of Christ for him overflows to his people. That is the pastor. That is the shepherd. That is the pastor. That's a, and it's a, it's a high calling with great responsibility. Listen to what Hebrews says. Elders will give an account. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. Elders will incur a stricter judgment. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Dick and Martin and I will give an account for you when we stand before the King of glory, we will endure a stricter judgment on how we rightly divided the word of truth. It is a scary position, but it is a wonderful position and one that should be carefully thought through. It's one that you aspire to, that you desire to. It's a godly work. It's a godly work. 1 Timothy 3, 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone does, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. A fine work could be translated. An honorable work, an excellent, high-quality work. The care for God's sheep in God's eyes is a fine work that he desires to do. It's a work that takes energy. Listen to Colossians 1, 28, 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's a toil to care for the sheep of God. It's a toil. It takes energy. It takes commitment to do this. And what are they to do? They are to take care of the sheep. It's a noble task. What's this task? To show up every Sunday to be sure they're the first one that opens the door so everybody comes in? Or is the task to be sure that everybody goes out and you lock the door? What's the task? What's the noble task? Glad you asked that question. They are to lead the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish them. They are to lead. We are to be leaders in the church. We are to lead by serving. The last will become first. The first will become last. That's the example Christ gave. The example he gives is in Mark 10, right? 
For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the example. They are to lead by serving. They are to preach and teach the word. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The 20th century English preacher William Will Sagster wrote, Called to preach, commissioned of God to teach the word, a herald of the great king, a witness of the eternal gospel. Could any work be more high and holy? To this supreme task, God sent his only begotten son in all the frustration and confusion of the times. Is it possible to imagine a work comparable in its importance with that of proclaiming the will of God to wayward men? Not by accident, nor yet by the thrustful egotism of men was the pulpit given the central place in the Reformed churches. It is there of design and devotion. It is there by the logic of things. It is there as the throne of the word of God. This is not a pulpit for comedians. It is not a pulpit for entertainers. Charles Spurgeon says, are we entertaining the goats? Or feeding the sheep. This is a pulpit that is the word of God comes forth through it. Not for entertaining, but for the building up and the encouragement of the body so that we would proclaim the excellency of him who has called us to himself. This is what it's for. In addition, the elder is to help the spiritually weak, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 and 14. They are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, this is just not a call for elders to do this, brothers and sisters. That's why this is very applicable for all of us. All of us are to be doing this. We are to, all of us are to admonish one another. We are to admonish the idle and we're encourage the faint-hearted and we're to help the weak and we're to be patient with them all. This is how we are to be with each other. But as the elders lead, we want to see that this is how the elders are. This is the noble task. Are your elders this way? Do they admonish the idle? Do they pray for the faint-hearted? Do they encourage the faint-hearted? Are they patient with you? This is how they're to spirit. They're to care for and shepherd the church of God. This word shepherd is to feed the sheep. We see it in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. We see, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. How are they to do this? <coughs> Excuse me. How are they to shepherd? They're to exercise oversight. They're to be continually looking diligently, taking care of the sheep, 
They're not to do it under compulsion. This word compulsion means with constraint. They're not to have constraint. They're not to lock down on you. Not for shameful gain. Not for filthy lucre. Not for the money. Not driven by money. They are to do this willingly with a ready mind. Not domineering. They're not to be heavy-handed. They're not to be heavy-handed. And I was one who was heavy-handed until the Lord taught me otherwise. They're not to be heavy-handed. They're not to rule with an iron fist. This is not the shepherd. The shepherd is the one who emulates Christ. Listen to what Ezekiel 34.4 says. This is what God says of the shepherds in those days. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. God looks down upon the shepherd that rules with force and dominance and tyranny. He does not look down on the shepherd who rules with grace and mercy, who emulates his son. They are to be an example, <coughs> a model, a print to the sheep. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sakes. Philippians 2, 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. We see these examples in Paul. Paul proclaims Christ to the elders. What do you do? Proclaim Christ. What do you do? You pour yourself out as a drink offering. This is what you do. He is showing them to be an example. Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, and in love, in faith, in purity. Brothers, we will get to this. Martin, Dick, you're not here, but I'm going to talk to you anyways. These are the examples that we are to be to the flock in our speech, in our conduct, in our love, in our faith, and in our purity. This is the example we are to put before you guys. Is this example? It's a heavy load. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Your shepherds should imitate Christ. They are to be the example of Christ. What did Christ do? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in 10.11. John 10.15. Just so the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The elder, the pastor, the shepherd is to lay their life down for the sheep because they understand that Christ has laid down his life for them. They are driven. Their motive is by the love of Christ for them and they want that to overflow to the sheep. That love. That is the noble task. That is the noble task. They are to appoint leaders. They are to appoint other leaders. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
They're to pray for the sick, James 5.14. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The work is to be done not for the elder's fame, his reputation, or power, but the elder is to do the work because he is motivated by Christ's love for him and his love for Christ. It should be evident. So what does that mean for you? Because I just talked about what the elder was supposed to do, what the noble task is. Brothers and sisters, the task is yours too. It's just not for the elder. But our task as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us are to care for each other. We're to care for each other with grace and with mercy and with compassion. We're to lift each other up in prayer. We're to be burdened by each other, right? Galatians tells us that we're to share each other's burdens. We're to carry the load for each other. This is what we are to do. We're to be examples to each other of the same thing, of speech and conduct and purity. We're to be encouraged by each other. We're to be examples for each other. We're to teach each other. Just because I preach here and, and Dick teaches Sunday school and Martin leads, it doesn't mean that we are unteachable. Proverbs says that the wise man loves instruction, loves correction. I am not unteachable. I am not uncorrectable. You are to come and correct me, just like we are with each other. We're to teach each other. But how are we to do this? We're to speak the truth in love, according to Ephesians 4. It's to be done in a way that is gentle, just as Jesus was gentle. You see, this is what it is. It's Christ-likeness. Godly leadership is Christ-likeness. It's imitating Christ. Christ was gentle. He was lowly. He was compassionate. This is who he was, and this is who we are to emulate with each other. We're to emulate Christ. We are to bear each other's burdens is what we are to do. So, brothers and sisters, today, even though Paul is addressing the elders to a noble task, I challenge you to a noble task. Do you aspire to love your brothers and sisters? Do you have a desire to do the work to serve each other? Not because you need to be accepted by Christ, but because you already are accepted in Christ should be your motivation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Again, Lord, I pray that you would Lord, just just reach to the depths of our hearts, Lord, and show us how gracious you are, Lord. I pray for Faith Bible Church. I pray, Father, that we would be a church that loves each other, cares for each other, shows grace to each other, is merciful with each other. Father, that we are examples of each other, teaching each other, admonishing the idle, lifting up, encouraging the faint-hearted. Lord, may we be those who are gracious and tender and loving 
because you are gracious and tender and loving. Oh, Lord, please do such a great work, Father, that we may be this church upon this hill that is a beacon of hope and a beacon of light of the gospel of grace for you, Lord. And may we do this all, Father, because we are loved by you, not to be loved by you. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.